that next to uh, Christmas, uh, Mother's Day is the day of the year that is the most widely celebrated. And I suspect it's true. When you think about it, uh, everybody's had a mother. All of us. Some of us are able to still honor our moms. And uh, if they're gone, uh, we remember them. And, uh, and of course, if we're married, then we honor our wives as well because it's, uh, they are mothers of our children. And uh, one thing that I think we should also be sensitive about, and that is uh, that uh, not all women are mothers. And so I'm sure there's a way that we can honor all women and at the same time be thankful for our moms and honor them. Uh, one year, uh, Phil Calloway, many of you familiar with him, he writes in Servant Magazine, and we've heard him in person uh, sometimes. But uh, one year he had an article, and uh, it was in the Servant that was entitled Fork in the Road. And he describes his wife Ramona's response to him one day when he came home from work and he asked her, uh, what did you do today? <laughs> this was a few years ago when the children were still small. Well, Ramona was ready and she handed him a piece of paper entitled, What Did I Do Today? And uh, it was a log of her day. And I can't read all of it. It's very detailed, but I'm going to read some of it. First entry was 3.21 a.m. 3.21 a.m. After all, it is today, right? This is what she said. Woke up, took Jeffrey to the bathroom. 3.31, that's 10 minutes later. Uh, woke up, took Jeffrey back to bed. 3.46, got you to quit snoring. 3.49, went back to sleep. 6.50, alarm went off. Mentally reviewed all I had to do today. At 7.10, the alarm went off contemplated doing something violent to the alarm clock. 7.19, got up, got dressed, made bed, warned Stephen. 7.21, spanked Stephen, held Stephen, prayed with Stephen. 7.29, fed boys breakfast consisting of Cheerios, orange juice, and something that resembled toast, scolded Jeffrey for mixing them. 7.35, woke Rachel. 7.48, had devotions. 7.50, made Stephen's lunch. Tried to answer Jeffrey's question, why does God need people? 8.02, started laundry. 8.03, took, took rocks out of the washing machine. 8.04, started laundry. We'll just skip over now to the afternoon. At 3.46 p.m., she put band-aids on knees. She organized task force to clean the kitchen. She cleaned parts of house. She accepted an appointment to a local committee because the secretary said, you probably have extra time since you don't work. <laughs> then she also recorded, I tried to answer Rachel's question. Why are boys and girls different? listened to zillion more questions and answered a few, briefly considered supper, seriously considered running away. And at 521, husband comes home looking for food, quietness, and romance. 
Then he goes on to say, his uh, different entry now, he says, often when Ramona and I are in public gatherings, she has asked the question, do you work? Thankfully, she isn't holding a fork when this happens. And although she usually manages a kind response, she wishes, she wishes she had the eloquence of the wife who once replied, I am socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments of the transformation of the social order into that teleologically prescribed utopia inherent in the eschaton. And then she, <laughs> then she, would, and then, then she would ask, and what is it you do? <laughs> And, and then he goes on to say, somehow the, the answer, I'm a lawyer, doesn't seem that empowering right then. <laughs> Someone has written, somebody sent me an email one year about mothers. And this is, this is for all of you, really, if you're a mom. This is for young mothers stumbling through diaper changes and sleep deprivation. And mature mothers learning to let go. For working mothers and stay-at-home mothers, single mothers and married mothers, mothers with money, mothers without. This is for you all, so hang in there. Home is what catches you when you fall, and we all fall. Yeah, like it. So happy Mother's Day. Now, the reason that we have Mother's Day is, of course, because of the significance of motherhood. And the significance of motherhood has to do with children. No mothers, no children. No children, no mothers. It's a tight equation. You can't have one without the other. We just read about what Jesus said about children and his incident related to children in Luke 18, 15 to 17. And uh, that is sort of my land, my, my spot that I've landed on this morning for the message. But uh, in this uh, setting there, Jesus is coming close to the end of his time on earth. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die, but there are some parents who are anxious to have him touch and bless their little children. Barclay tells us that it was most natural that Jewish mothers should wish their children to be blessed by a great and distinguished rabbi. And especially they brought their children to such a person on the child's first birthday. That would have been sort of a norm in that particular culture. But in our text, we see that the disciples really wanted to protect Jesus he shouldn't, he shouldn't allow those kind of interruptions to sidetrack him. In their minds, he was much too busy for little children. But Jesus is not impressed with their protective instincts. Rather, he says, let the little children come to me. And I like that but there. They, they rebuke them. They rebuke the children or the parents of the children, it says in, 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 in verse 15. But then in 16, but Jesus called the children and said to them, 
let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. You know, in Mark's edition, it's, it's stronger. Uh, there it says that when Jesus saw this, he was indignant when he saw that the disciples were rebuking people who were bringing the children. It says he was indignant. And then that statement, let the little children come to me. As we reflect upon both his actions and his words here, the one thing that stands out with absolute clarity was that Jesus valued children. And that's for us as a take-home. Children matter. Jesus had a way of affirming those people with little social standing in his world. True related to tax collectors, Samaritans, prostitutes. Someone expressed it like this. He picked the marginalized up from the floor. Those who were marginalized, he just picked them up from the floor and then he put them back in a seat at the table. And that was the way he was. Well, women and children were in that category. They had minimal social status in that setting. And unfortunately, we see in many parts of the world that's still true. Women for sure and girl children for sure. Uh, minimal standing. And here he is indignant. Indignant that disciples should be so indifferent about the children. And indignant that anyone should think children are unimportant. Mark tells us that he actually took the children into his arms and placed them in his hands, and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Uh, it's as if nothing in his mind could be more important than that. Interruption? No, it's not an interruption. This is what really matters. So evident that he valued little children, treasured them, loved them, and in our English, in our language, we've been singing this for years, generations, that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, or this other one, and Jesus loves me, this I know. When our children were small, we sang with them and taught them another one, and, and it was, uh, uh, Jesus loves the little one like me. Uh, Jesus loves the little one like me. Little ones like me sat upon his knee. Jesus loved the little ones like me. He loves all the children, those who are bright and healthy and those who are not so bright and not so healthy. He loves those who come from poor families and those from wealthy families, those born and raised by two parents, those born into a household where a single mom is trying to raise them by herself. And oh, how we want to support people like that. But he values all of them. And if we would follow Jesus, then we must value what he values. <laughs> you know, it's not rocket science. You wonder if you should even have to say it, but it's so true and we need to be reminded of it. If we are followers of Jesus, then we must value what he values. And so that means we must value children. And I've said it many times that I'm so pleased to see that little group of Kids, all ages, all the way from very young, all the way up into their teens. And uh, appreciate our workers who uh, make it a meaningful time for them. And so as parents, we must value our children. And as a church, we must value children in our congregations. And, and 
whatever we can do for children in our communities. And since children matter so much, it follows that parenting matters so much. And thus the significance of motherhood and mothering. Don't ever think that that is an also part of your responsibility, moms. It matters. In that uh, uh, Phil Calloway article that I referred to earlier, he has an encouraging note for mothers. He says, if you are a homemaker, let me encourage you. No one on earth can shake the shape the mind of a child like his mother. Yours is the most powerful, the most influential role on earth. I know the pay is poor, but the rewards are out of this world. And then he says, now I got to go. I, I, I got to make supper for his wife and family. And so moms take heart. Children matter and you matter. Your significance and your influence in your role can't really be measured beyond measure. Now, we're very used to hearing how we are, as adults, we are examples for our children. And certainly that is stressed in the scriptures. And we see so often among our young people and children that they, they tend to follow our examples in many ways. And maybe especially in ways they aren't even thinking about. It's unconscious. And so it's very true and it's very sobering that we have to be models for our children and young people. But here Jesus is teaching something that's in a reverse of that, okay? He is teaching here that children are also models for us. Children matter. That was point number one. But children are models. That's point number two. And he says that unless you... Uh, you know, he talks about being like children. I tell you, uh, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, like a child, <laughs> will, not, will not enter the kingdom like a child. In uh, Mark 10:15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Same thing in Matthew 18, verse 3, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom. Considering, consider a little child, and from this consideration, the most important uh, lesson of all, there's something about the child that shows us the gateway into the kingdom. I wonder what Jesus had in mind here. There's a part of me that might say, you know, I wish he was a little more specific. You know, what is he talking about here? And yet at the same time, it's kind of good that he isn't that specific because we can pondering, ponder it as we, as we live on and see new things and new insights where it's relevant and where it relates. But what does he mean here? And for a, a start, I, I want to... I want to suggest that it is significant that in the way Luke has arranged things, he places this episode of Jesus and the children right after he has told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Interesting. And remember that parable where the 
religious man, the Pharisee, went into the temple and uh, he was really patting himself on the back in the presence of God. He was saying, Lord, I, you know, I thank you. I'm not like other people, that I fast twice a, a week, that I haven't committed any of those kind of sins, and that I tithe, and I'm not like, well, even this tax collector here. And then the tax collector, he just poured himself out before God, saying, be merciful to me. He had nothing to claim for himself. He was the example of abject humility, offering no merit whatsoever, but crying out to God for mercy. And Jesus said it was rather him than the good living religious man that went home justified before God. And I think there's something about that humility, something about that dependence on God for mercy that is modeled for us in little children. I want to point out four characteristics that we see in normal kids, okay? I'm not talking about those that have had been, have been abused and disturbed and how they may react, but I'm talking about those who are reasonably close, you know, reasonably normal and healthy. Four characteristics closely tied together in how we must relate to our Heavenly Father. I begin with this one. Little children, especially the younger ones, are real, <laughs> genuine. You know, they love to pretend, but they're free from pretension, right? They let their imaginations go all over the world, and they love it, but they are not wearing masks. They haven't learned to hide who they really are. They are not inhibited. What they feel, what they want, and what they sense, they normally express. And that is why children say such marvelous things. They are not afraid to express what is on their minds. And sometimes they embarrass their parents because of what they say. We had an incident like that. Our son Jonathan, I don't know how old he was, maybe four years old in our neighbor came over to help us with, uh, with some problems we had with, with, our, uh, with our plumbing. And uh, really a nice guy. And we knew, we knew the backstory that he had attended our church for a while before we came to that community and that something had kind of gone wrong and they had drifted away. And of course, we did talk about it at home. Well, here's our son, Jonathan. He blurts it out right there. He says, how come you don't go to church? He said, you used to go to church. Oh, my goodness. You know, it was fine. He was a good neighbor, and he was a kind-hearted person, but it wasn't what we had wanted them to say. But that's what happens. They are uninhibited. I think that teaches us something about the way that we are to come before our Lord, too, without pretending anything. Children don't need to uphold an image. They just relate to you the way that they are. Never mind if he's dirty and grimy from playing. He'll think nothing of coming to the table, grime and all. Or never mind if she is very tired and irritable. No need to hide that. She comes the way she is. And that's how God wants us to come before him. We are not expected to fix ourselves up first and then come to Christ. No, he wants us to come to him the way we are. In simple honesty, our masks pulled off. Sins, warts, 
and all. I want to say here that one of the things that people who are not church people, people who aren't committed Christians yet, one of the things that they find in attractive churches is that sense of down-to-earthness. These people are real. These people don't pretend to have it all together. It's obvious to the world they don't. (laughs) And so people are impressed when they see that kind of genuineness, that kind of authenticity. And that's how we have to be in our relationship to the Lord. And I believe to demonstrate that too in our way of life. We don't have it all together. We're struggling sinners. They're real. Secondly, little children are dependent. I don't know if there's any creature on earth as dependent as a newborn baby. And uh, the uh, creatures that we're familiar with, I, you know, think of it, how long, how quickly they grow up. Our little children are probably starting to try to walk at maybe 9, 10, 11 months. And uh, by that time, dogs and cats and cattle, they're almost mature, you know. But our children are so dependent for many months for protection, for food, for drink, for mobility, for cleanliness. They're also dependent on love. Studies show that if little infants are untouched for a period of time, they die. They are totally dependent on us, on people. And as a child gets a little older, does he really even think otherwise than being dependent? Does he start to plot and say, you know, if I'm really good, I'll get to eat supper? I don't think so, because it's not that kind of a relationship. It's the parents who provide for their children and not the other way around. And there's no thought of earning or deserving the provisions. And I think sometimes we, as followers of Christ, we, uh, we think somehow we have to do better for God to be accept us, you know, that God is pleased with me if I can work a little harder and if I can sacrifice a little more. And sometimes we need to just rest as a child, knowing that he loves us independently of anything we're able to be or become or do, and need to realize that when I fail him, he doesn't love me any less. Dependent an unearned response to him. And uh, (laughs) children are not only dependent, but they're okay with being dependent. They don't even think about it. Well, almost the same, really, just the other side of the same coin, I think, is they're dependent and so they trust. And that's the third characteristic. They know how to trust. They trust the adult in their life enough to feel free to express their needs and to depend on them. And I want to say here how absolutely tragic it is when adults betray that trust. They have a right to. It's natural for them to trust the adult in their life. And so they think nothing of saying, you know, I'm scared. (laughs) Pick me up. Carry me. Or I'm hungry. Or I got to go to the bathroom. You know, they they trust us with all of that. 
Berkeley tells about a well-known man, a great, you know, quote-unquote important man who once said that the biggest compliment that was ever paid to him was when a very little boy came up to him, a complete stranger, and he asked him to tie his shoelace. <laughs> what an example of trust. The need to trust God is a prevailing theme in the Bible. God wants us to be fully aware of our dependence and then to express that by trusting him. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And as I read at the front this morning, trust in the Lord from uh, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isaiah 30, verse 15, in quietness and trust is your strength. Ah, good lesson for us. Well, children are for real. They are dependent and they're fine with that, so they trust us. And then there's a third, fourth one. As adults, we find it hard to receive help. But children are receptive, eager recipients of whatever we're prepared to do for them. You know, it's not that way with adults. Have you ever tried to help a friend who was in financial need? It's almost like you have to, it's almost like you have to be creative somehow and subtle to, to help the, the adult with uh, maybe paying the mortgage or whatever you want to do. <laughs> but children are not like that. You know, they are at complete peace about receiving. And even those who are a little older suggest going out to McDonald's every day and they're, they're all for it. Or if it's not McDonald's, maybe it's DQ or whatever. I'm a little bit behind of where the kids are at today, but whatever it is, they'll do it day after day with you. And suggest going to Disneyland and their response, you know, that's a nice thought, Dad, but I really don't think we can afford it. Not this year. Are you kidding? They're already packing their bags as soon as you mention it. They think nothing of receiving what you would give to them. And, of course, infants even more so. They just naturally receive your love and attention and nourishment and protection. And as parents, that's exactly what we want. You think that's what our Heavenly Father wants from us too? I think so. Well, note here, even in this text, when he talks about the kingdom, he talks about receiving. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive, isn't that interesting? Receive the kingdom. Not earn it. Not work in it but receive the kingdom. We're familiar with John chapter 1 where it says, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, gift of God, receiving. Gifts must be received. Children are receptive. We too must be receptive. We are called to have a receptive kind of a faith. When we receive Christ, we then receive eternal life as a gift. But you know, it's not only about the way we come to him in the first place. 
but it's to be a pattern. It's supposed, it's supposed to be a way of life where we gladly receive the blessings that he would give to us. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing some strong language against some who are teaching error. And you know what the error is? It has to do with restraining people. People don't, they throw barriers in the way of receiving good gifts from God. He specifies, uh, he says, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received, received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. We are to be glad receivers of all of God's blessing and then out of that, responding with thanksgiving. It's kind of like the only way we can be a blessing to others is by receiving the blessings ourselves. And that's where it comes from. Living a life that gladly and gratefully receives God's gift. Being real. Being dependent and knowing it and accepting it, and then trusting him, and then gratefully receiving his love. Here's an old prayer that I think is a good one for all of us. Make me, O Lord, a child again, so tender, frail, and small, in self-possessing nothing, and in thee possessing all. Make me, O Lord, a child again, so tender, frail, and small, in self-possessing nothing, and in thee possessing all. Psalm 131. You know, it occurred to me as I was going over my notes this morning, let's, let's recite these words together. Psalm 131.1. Let's stand and uh, say these words as, a, as an expression to the Lord, and then we're going to close with a song. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's say, church, put your hope in the Lord. Church, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might learn to be more like children in the way that we relate and respond to you, even as we grow to maturity in the things that you call us to be mature about related to our faith. Give us wisdom to know the difference. But Father, this morning we especially ask that we might have that posture of dependence on you, trust, and then gladly receiving your gifts to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.